Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, welcome to the Yanks Coming Soccer Show. I'm Neil Blackman with Carter Krishnire. We have a uh, lengthy U.S. men's national team related show tonight. We'll start with the U-20 World Cup where the United States lost in the quarterfinals 2-1 to one in a match that was eerily similar to the United States 2014 World Cup exit to Belgium. Even the scoreline was the same. Carter Krishnar, your thoughts on how that tournament ended and maybe some general bird's eye thoughts about just the tournament in general. Oh, eerily similar is right. 2-1 to one after extra time. Venezuela gets a goal right after the start of extra time, just like Kevin De Bruyne did for Belgium. Gets another goal to make it 2-0. We get a goal back uh, from an unlikely source, from a substitute, uh, just like we did with Julian Green. Uh, we had a keeper in Jonathan Klinsman who uh, stood on his head for much of that match. He, he had had uh, shaky moments in the tournament prior to the game uh, against Venezuela, but had he not been on his A game against Venezuela, we might have been beaten 3 or 4 nil uh, in regular time, and just like against Belgium, right? Uh, if Timmy Howard hadn't been on his, uh, on his game. Really eerily similar is right. Um, uh, I, that game was um, disappointing from a defensive perspective. We had a lot of defensive issues in the first match against um, against Ecuador, a 3-3 draw where we gave up two very soft goals early uh, with bad marking, uh, bad fullback play. Tommy Redding, who was uh, playing for Cameron Carter's Vicar, Cameron Carter Vickers, who had not arrived yet at the tournament because Spurs had their last Premier League match the night before we played our first uh, tournament game. Uh, so he was released after that game and, and, and was there for the rest of the tournament, but missed the first game. Uh, Tommy Redding had a bit of a nightmare in that first 10 or 12 minutes of that game. But after uh, Gideon Zalelem got injured, and it's a serious injury, ACL, uh, Derek Jones stepped in, gave us the balance in midfield we needed. Uh, Tyler Adams, uh, who we saw last year have such a great season with Red Bull 2, um, he, he was fantastic in this tournament. Luca Della De Torre was fantastic uh, in this tournament. And then out wide, of course, Brooks Lennon, uh, was one of the two big stories, along with Josh Sargent up front, who had four goals in the tournament. Um, I, I think um, there was a lot to like from our team going forward, but the defensive issues we saw uh, in the first match, uh, the two soft goals given up early, the um, really kind of comical attempt at being Manuel Neuer or, or uh, Hugo Lloris or some sort of sweeper-keeper that... Uh, uh, Jonathan Klinsman tried to exhibit. I mean, his first touch was actually good. He got away from the Ecuadorian defender. At that point, just ship it, right? Um, instead, he tries to dribble past another guy, gets into trouble, ends up playing it uh, to a um, to a third guy, and easy goal for Ecuador. Um, after the, those first two goals against Ecuador and then the Klinsman mishap, uh, we really were solid at the back. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers gets himself suspended, gets himself sent off against Saudi Arabia. We concede a goal on a set piece, uh, down to 10 men, and it's a 1-1 draw, but we still win the group. Uh, Saudi Arabia goes through with that point. And in the New Zealand game, without Carter-Vickers, 
Uh, Redding was back in central defense and was pretty good in that game. And Eric yeah. Homer Brown had a very good game, captaining the U.S. team. Uh, felt like uh, defensively we, we had gotten to a point where we were going to be very solid. Uh, but, Neil, Venezuela was one of the best teams, or this tournament's still going on as we record, has been one of the best teams in this tournament. We knew it was going to be a tough, tough game, but I didn't expect our defense to just get shelled the way it did and Klinsman's goal to be shelled the way it was. I think that's fair. I think I think one thing that that didn't show as much in the Saudi Arabia match and the New Zealand match, um, you know, essentially was missing until the the Venezuela match was that Tab Ramos says for for all the things that he's done uh, well, and I really admire the fact that of I think of all the levels of U.S. coaching. Ramos is maybe, and, and our friend Thomas Rongan, are maybe the two people that have an idea of what kind of style the United States should play. And I think that the idea of playing a 4-3-3 is pretty, um, is, you know, it's pretty smart and Ramos is stuck with it. I think that the loss of Getty and Zellum hurt the United States in the sense that they didn't have, you know, their sort of creative, um, you know, hub in the middle of the pitch. And while Jones played well, um, in his stead, I thought that that hurt the United States against quality. Great just point. to have a little bit of the ball, to have your sort of creative, uh, you know, player there in the middle. Especially because Ramos has repeatedly, and now it's not his fault that Pulisic is involved in other things. I assure you, he would have loved to have a number ten, or he um, would have so liked to have had a Weston McKinney or a Haji Wright in this tournament. Those guys right, weren't that's, released. And that's the thing. I think. I think he lost the opportunity. That the two players that he most would have liked to have probably to fill that role would have been Wright and Pulisic. He's unable to do that. So when he loses Elam, it, it really creates sort of a vacuum in terms of who's the guy that's going to be calm on the ball, It's going to give the U.S. a little pressure, It's going to help the U.S. You know, clog the central channels defensively, sure, but to do it with the ball so that they can get reset up when attacks fail. It was a problem against Venezuela, and, and then, you know, yeah, there were obviously, as you, you've noted them quite well, there are lots of deficiencies defensively. I thought particularly um, you isolated Tommy Redding as a player that didn't have a very good tournament. I thought the U.S. fullbacks were by and large poor. Um, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, Carter Vickers is, is obviously a tremendous player. I thought Eric Palmer Brown had a remarkable tournament, and I think it's kind of a testament to the to the cross training. We saw this early in Jeff Cameron's career, like the ability to play different spots at a young age in MLS ends up being a useful thing. And I think Palmer Brown's future is probably as a center back. Um, but it's cool to see that the United States is not only are they going to have that Eddie Pope type, you know, physical presence, but they're also going to have a guy like a. Uh, like a Palmer Brown that, that can, can carry the ball out of the back, um, which is one of the things that the U.S. is developing now, whether it's from the senior side or now with the U-20s, that you know they've really been lacking since Steve Terundolo stepped off the international stage. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's, uh, that's been a deficiency in the senior team since Terundolo stepped off the international stage, and it hasn't been filled, quite frankly. And, mm-hmm. and there is... There is only one Steve Ferrandolo in U.S. men's national team history, a guy that uh, played at that consistent a level for a single club. 
big club in Europe for as long as he did. So um, they're not saying that you, you that you can take a mold and create another um, uh, Dolo very uh, easily, but we do have that deficiency. I agree with your point about the fullbacks, and the Zalewa point is really well taken, Neil. I, I gave Derek Jones props for stepping in in that game against uh, Ecuador, really solidifying the team, and then doing yeah, the I mean, same. It's not an indictment of Jones. Right, right. right. Yeah, but doing the same in, in the rest of the group games, I think um, he was more of a Dax McCarty-type player versus Zalelem being your Freddie Adu. If you want to look at this team 10 years ago, the other really great U- U-20 team we remember in the last uh, decade was 10 years ago, the, the tournament in Canada. And McCarty and, um, and, and, and Rongan was playing a similar formation. McCarty and, and Adu played off each other really well. Um, and... You needed that creative presence in Freddie Adu to break down uh, better teams and have some creativity and, and, and keep the ball. Uh, not having Zalelem, you're right, against Venezuela really hurt the U.S. because it was one-way traffic. That, that, um, that, that was coming the whole time. And it was to the point where, because it was the time of the morning it was, when we were all up watching the game at 4 o'clock here on the East Coast, uh, towards the end of the 90 minutes, I was thinking maybe we just want Venezuela to get a, to get a goal um, and then to, um, to finish up uh, and close out this game so that we can go to bed. <laughs> because we knew it was coming, right? And we just had the sense of extra time. It wouldn't go our way unless we could somehow keep it nil-nil and get the penalties. But um, sure. it just was a disappointing end, and this is something that's very typical – Disappointing end to a good youth tournament for the U.S. This is uh, seems to be the stage of the, the tournament where the U.S. typically gets eliminated, whether it was in 1999 with that really good team led by Taylor Twellman, Danny Kale of some other really top players. Um, 2007, we talked about. 2015, uh, 2005, the team with Benny Feilhaber and Sasha Kleiston, um, Stuart Holden, and, and now uh, 2017, this quarterfinal stage is a bugaboo. And 2007, it was an extra time game uh, to Austria, to Andy Herzog's Austria, actually. And the sending off of, of, uh, of, of if I remember correctly, it was uh, Anthony Wallace. Tony Wallace got sent off. Um, and then uh, 2015, it was penalty kicks. In 2017, it was, uh, it was this, uh, this game. It seems like we get to extra time. We, we're knocking on the door to get to the semifinals and we can never get over that hump. And it, it's yeah, frustrating. I mean, I I, I, look, I think that first full credit to Ramos. When he inherited this, this U 20 program, you know, it was in shambles. So he's now, he's now gone from, from, you know, kind of taking over a team that was in shambles and getting drawn in that absurd group that they were in 2013. I think, I think they were with France, right? Um, <laughs> this France team that France, everybody. Turkey, and someone was, else that, who was that really was good. Guys. It was all France, club. Turkey, and someone else that was really, really good. I mean, we got drawn Correct. into just a, a hell group. Yeah, and and so they, so they, you know, they they falter there. But but he stuck with he stuck to his guns stylistically. You know, um, and that's why the, the Zellum thing is so interesting because. Who's your tempo setter, right? When you wanna when you wanna press as hard as they do, when you wanna run and harass your opponent around the field and just use that that American fitness, um, which you know Bob Bradley always thought would be our stylistic calling card at some point in time. Like we would have enough talent where that would be the calling card. 
Like we literally just run you into the ground. Um, you know, and that's kind of what Ramos's team stylistically want to do, but you have to have that tempo setter in the middle of the pitch. They lose in the quarterfinals for the second three tournament. It is disappointing. They also do it though to a Venezuela side, which is probably a golden generation. Yeah. Born of born of political strife. Um you know, it's a it's a it's an a hundred year old soccer. No, no, that, that, that's the question that a lot of people are asking. Just as an aside, is this a golden generation for Venezuela, or is Venezuela becoming, uh, in spite of the Hugo Chavez and Maduro uh, political strife, now becoming potentially a power in Latin America? We won't well, know for a while, but I this... think it's a golden generation in the sense that we can't answer the second question yet. What we can say we is, won't be able to answer that for 10 years, probably, yeah, but there are people speculating about it openly now because sure. a lot of the Latin football experts I talk to cannot believe how good this Venezuela team is. No, and I think it's fair to speculate about it while also sort of acknowledging that historically there are great, great soccer teams that are born of these sorts of political moments. For whatever reason, you know, I, I don't know what it is because I don't want to, like, mythologize the oh, everything is horrible, there's no food on the table, so everyone just plays soccer. Right. You know, and there is a little bit of that trope. <laughs> but it's amazing that, you know, 2008, the team that ends up winning the tournament is born of that sort of political moment. I mean, those, those players, those Serbian players, all came from you know, childhoods in, 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 in and of that conflict. 2007 Asian uh, Cup, Iraq. Yeah, I didn't mean to say 2008. I meant 2015, U20. Yeah, yeah, Serbia. Yeah, right. They all came from right back. So it's the same. It's the same. You know, and this is a narrative that's repeated itself. You know, when Argentina finally rose up and challenged Brazil, it wasn't necessarily, you know, of course it helped that Maradona (laughs) had come of age. You know, anytime you have a magician, that's going to happen. But there was also an element of there's a junta. And, you know, in and around that, whether it's the dictator that wants to emphasize the prowess of athletics as sort of a national symbol, or whether it's, you know, sport as retreat. Um, We could do a whole show on on that sort of political stuff, and (laughs) nobody but you or me would listen. (laughs) But it's it's fascinating to me that that the U.S. has lost to a team sort of of that style and, and of that kind of moment again. Yeah, and it is. It's second consecutive tournament. Of course, Serbia went on, as you, as you mentioned, to win the tournament. Uh, I would not bet against Venezuela. Uh, I've been intrigued by this England side. I have to mention, uh, before we move on to the senior U.S. team, your, your Everton side, your, the club you support in England, has, has really created, and we know they have a great youth system, but have created the core of this England team that um, uh, could be the, the, the challenger for uh for Venezuela in this tournament, I think. Uh, no, oh, there's no question. I think one of those two sides win it. There's no question about that. Um, so, I mean, like, kind of final thoughts on this. I mean, you know, Josh Sargent, obviously a future U.S. national team player, maybe a star. I think Cameron Carter Vickers, when all is said and done, has a chance to be the best defensive player the U.S. has ever produced. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to get, you know, I'm sure probably going to hide in my DMs now with all the, the pro-rel people who will remind me that we didn't produce John Brooks. That's fine. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, anybody else that really stood out to you? Like, give me a couple players that you, you felt, wow, I didn't know that guy was, was like that. For me, it was Palmer Brown. You know, I just didn't – maybe he doesn't have that much quality and he just played above his head. Yeah, no, it was definitely or, – or maybe, or maybe, you know, this is another guy that can join Darlington Nagby as a kind of <laughs> player that can get the ball and carry it in traffic. Uh into the safe portions of the field, right? And that—that's that, 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 the guy that um, we think we have in Matt Miazga, uh, who we have to continue right. to keep an eye on and, and his right. development abroad. But uh, he's a guy that's a ball playing center back that can and carry the ball loan. when needed. A yeah, great loan. yeah, uh, yeah. He, he the loan to Vitesse this year was fantastic for him mm-hmm. from Chelsea, and I think really uh, probably rounded out his game, but Palmer Brown reminded me a lot of Miaska, um, which is a, a compliment. I know people now, um, who, who follow this maybe more casually than we do, Neil, are saying, oh, Miaska's fallen off the face of the earth. He never should have gone to Chelsea. He's a guy Chelsea bought. Let's keep that in mind. Let's put that in perspective. He's an American MLS-based player Chelsea bought. Only time in history. So, uh that's pretty high praise for Eric Palmer Brown. I, I think Luca De, De La Torre uh, surprised me. I've heard so much about this kid uh, between Salt Lake and, and uh, Fulham. And uh, I, I was pleasantly impressed by him. Brooks Lennon, I had a great tournament. Another guy that's got the Salt Lake, Terrific. yeah, Salt Lake England com- connection. Um, but I, ha- I, I have to say, I kind of expected that. I expect Brooks Lennon yeah. to perform at that level. Okay. Uh, and the U-20s. So those would be my standout guys. Um, disappointments, I don't want to uh, knock too many of our guys, but I, I agree with you, the fullbacks. I thought Trusty, Glad, the guys playing out in wide positions on the back line uh, did not have particularly good turns. Yeah, Herrera. Aca- uh, yeah, Herrera. Acosta wasn't particularly <laughs> good. Um, right. So I, I think uh, that would be my concern. And then also um, – we never got to see the other goalkeepers besides Jonathan Klinsman, so I don't know what we have there. Yeah, uh, well, we're back to that. That's a bugaboo that we can get into. Right. Yeah. Uh, Klins- Klinsman, I thought, uh, obviously had a terrible first game. After that, was pretty good. was really good against Venezuela. Obviously had a great game. Man of the match, uh, 10 out of 10, even though we conceded two goals in extra time. Type performance, but um, where are the keepers? This is becoming the bugaboo for, for us in the pool, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Ivis, who I heard earlier this week, you know, kind of taking it, you know, just reminding everyone that Jonathan Clinton is 19 years old and uh, he, he might get a lot better. Um, and certainly there's there's talent there. Nobody's going to question his size or athleticism uh, at the position. So, you know, I, I, and I'm sure some of that adventurous spirit is just genetic. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you kind of have to coach that out, but but yeah, I mean, this is this is a problem at all stages of the of the, of the pyramid now. Where where is the next goalkeeper? Um, and and that's you know I think that's something that Bruce Arena has to dive into. This but but where's the keeper depth? Okay, I, I I tend to agree with Ivis. I think Klinsman will get better. And um, I was really down on him after the Ecuador game. He won me back with his performances the rest of the tournament. But where are the other keepers in this pool? Right. I, I'm concerned that we're producing one keeper. One decent keeper in this in this age group right now it's Klinsman. One decent keeper per age group, and we used to produce three or four. Right? No, it's it's a great point, um, and it's it's worth keeping an eye on. So the U.S. bow out uh, after the quarterfinals. Um, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Ramos. Uh, you know, kind of what his future holds. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a shot at an Olympic team. We'll see what happens. Uh, as far as what's on tap for the United States, a busy summer, the second busiest summer in CONCACAF. Obviously, Mexico has the busiest. Mexico, if things go the way they plan, could play as many as 15 matches in 50 days. So they're a club team now. <laughs> I, I, that's that's absurd. I'm not actually, not even club teams play that many games. Right. We had the same issue in 2009. If, if, um, if things go... Now, now uh, Juan Carlos Osorio told John Arnold this week that John Arnold covers Mexican soccer for goal.com. If anybody's listening and doesn't know who John is, he does really good work. Um, he said that, you know, managing minutes is a huge priority for him, but they also have the task of making sure they qualify for the World Cup, which with two home matches at Azteca, they can pretty much wrap up yeah. with six points in the next week. Then, um, you know, I think they're going to send, you know, Sorio has said their goal is to win the Confederations Cup. I don't want to spend too much time on the Yanks are coming show in Mexico, but I think it's interesting that he then noted, I don't plan on bringing a single player, he said to the Gold Cup that he takes the Confederations Cup. So he's going to bring an entirely different team. Now, 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 what happened with Bob Bradley in 2009 is he tried to do that and ended up having to call some of those guys back right. when he when added six players. Yeah, right. So that, that... give them a little bit of a rest. And I think Osorio might do that just because if he sets himself up for embarrassment against an arena team that will be... I'm almost an A team, I imagine, by the knockout stages. Yeah. You know, because Arena will probably bring in, he's going to bring in the big guns for the quarters. They might not play, but they'll be on the team. Right. And I, and so, you know, because the U.S. doesn't have that sort of complication. You know, I, I mean, Arena has already hinted that Pulisic, if, if Dortmund is okay with it, he'd like to have him there. Um, and Mexico is or, or, or weird, Pulisic, you're in a position where right? you, yeah. So with Pulisic, I think what you might end up doing is you might end up using him in the group stage of Gold Cup, and then having to release him to Dortmund. Um, or that, or, yeah. yeah, or that. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think, I think it's it's a weird spot for for Juan Carlos Osorio. Maybe the weirdest spot I've seen. If you reference Bradley, I think was a great example because I don't think I've seen. A manager whose approach to the Confederations Cup was, I want to win. But Osorio's in even a different spot than Bradley because the FMF and their fans are so insane. Yeah, I, I don't know. if you lose a Gold Cup badly to the United States, all of a sudden his job might be at stake after, you know, qualifying for the World Cup in six matches and, and making a deep run in the Confederations I mean, the, the idea that we're talking about Osorio's, uh, and I, I hate to get into to even bring up the subject, but there is still a lot of xenophobia among Mexican fans. And uh, the fact that we're even questioning Juan Carlos Osorio's uh, job status in any way, shape, or form lends back to the fact that he's Colombian and was educated in the United States and spent time in England and with Manchester City. He, he has done such a phenomenal job with that national team. It's not even, right. It shouldn't even be a discussion. Uh, the, the fact that some people would be unhappy about... Um, uh, 
a friendly loss to Croatia. You know, Croatia, I, I again, I, this is funny. The other day, Champions League final, Mandzukic scores this goal, this unbelievable goal for Juve. And I turned to the people I'm watching the game with at, at uh, our garage soccer tournament, and I, and I said, this is exactly why every international tournament, I think Croatia might win it, because they have so many good players. Uh, obviously, Mandzukic <laughs> wasn't at that friendly, because he was at the Champions League final. But yeah, um, And then you have Mexican fans complaining about them losing to Croatia. Oh, come on. Um, and that's only the second match he's lost. The first, of course, was the Chile match. We all remember that. But um, World Cup qualifying yeah, but no, I mean, has never gone this smoothly for Mexico. You know, because normally when Mexico loses to Chile like that, everyone turns on the coach and the team goes off the rails for like seven or eight months. Instead, they've had their, the smoothest World Cup qualifying campaign that they have had right. since... They played a meaningful match like four months later. You, you know, I, I don't Columbus, remember. Ohio, I wasn't around in. Se- I have. I wasn't around in '78. Uh, maybe their their <laughs> World Cup qualifying was smoother in '78. But '82 they didn't make it. '86 they didn't have to qualify. '90 we know what happened. They had some bumps in '94. '98 uh, they had a lot of bumps, including Steve Sampson going out down there and getting a draw and. Uh, and uh, Bora getting sacked after that. Uh, 2002, they had a, a ton of bumps. Uh, and we, we obviously know um, uh, 2010 and 2014, they had all kinds of problems, most notably 2014. But 2010, people forget, they had trouble getting out of the sub-hex, the, the round well, before the, the hex. They were, they were five minutes from being eliminated in 2014 from the whole tournament. Right. Four years before that, four years before that, they... they they but got by on goal difference against Jamaica. Is that correct? Yeah, they got out. Of, they got out of a subhex on goal difference. It right. wasn't even like the U.S. where Carlos Ruiz scored five minutes into a game, right. and everybody went, "Oh," because there was never a feeling that the U.S. was going to lose those matches at home to Guatemala. Yeah, that was two straight cycles that under Klinsman. And a lot of people have forgotten this, especially the, the people that are still in the Klinsman camp. Um, I think I tweeted one thing during the friendly this past weekend about. You know, how I felt like some of Arena's experiments were actually ideas rooted in things that he might want to try strategically, as opposed to Quinsman just tinkering for the sake of tinkering. And I got ripped apart for it by a couple people. And I thought, why are you ripping me apart? I mean, like, Quinsman, this is the reality of Jurgen Quinsman, is that <laughs> for two consecutive cycles, the U.S. had to win their final match in a subhex. Right. Get to that. Yeah, and that, and that was where Mexico was in 2009, or 2008, right. exactly, late 2008. They've had a smooth qualifying campaign under Osorio. We'll get back to Mexico in a minute, but I want to ask you uh, about Trinidad yeah, and sorry, Tobago. I, and I, I took us on the giant Mexico tangent just because I think it's so fascinating. Well, yeah, no, no, and I think that that's what people want to hear on this show, but we, we do have to mention TNT before we get back to Mexico. Sure. Uh, obviously, uh, I... I their World Cup qualifying campaign picked up with that win against Panama. They're still awaiting their bonuses from that game. No surprise. It's what happens with that federation time and again, whether Jack Warner is there or whether his hidden hand is behind. It doesn't matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, and then Mexico, they, they, they got robbed in that game. So they're coming off two good performances since Stephen Hart was fired. Uh, I still think if you look at their squad, this is one of the weaker sides they've had, and they've been punching above their weight. So it should be a U.S. win, but... Uh, I tell you, they look good against Mexico. They, as I as I said, they at, at worst should have had a draw in that game. Uh, probably yeah. should have won it. Uh, you know, I think it's funny. I think that they punch above their weight defensively, and I think Dennis Lawrence has done a really nice job since coming in 
just getting them to defend organiz- or <laughs> defend with organization. They, they maintain a pretty pretty good offside trap. Yeah. And and the goalkeeper's a little better than he gets credit for. I was, I saw that he had signed a contract to get out of the Trinidad League after the uh, Mexico qualifier. He was able to to secure a move out. Um, but you know. That's the goal for those sorts of guys. I think that attacking-wise, even with a struggling Kenwin Jones, um, you know, these aren't the the 06 Premier League guys that they had, but but Kevin Molino is a sensational soccer player. Right. And Jovan Jones is the best fullback in MLS. Yeah, and Ke- and Ke- Kayvon George has been one of the best players in NASL this season. Well, um, he's going to, you know, he's that's a good call-up. Because the biggest problem... I was surprised have, to see an NASL guy get called up, so I was happy I was about too. that. Yeah. I was glad But he's been it. so good this season. I, I tell you, he's been very underrated. Uh, I, I don't know whether guys are underrated or overrated in NASL anymore. No one covers the league, but he's been, I would say, underappreciated. He's been really good. Well, I, I've heard um, Nipun talk about him a little bit, and uh, who, who has his own show and does a lot of periscoping and stuff, talks about NASL, but I think... You know, the main thing that George offers is somebody that can stop the ball, just kind of hold the ball a little bit yeah. in the middle of the field. And the biggest problem they've had is that we just talked about ball carriers with the U-20s. They have none. Yeah. So they have to access uh, Kevin Molino in some way beyond just Joven Jones on the break. Right? And, right? and George gives them that kind of player. I think Highland is actually a little bit better than he gets credit for, too. I, I think he could certainly play in NASL. I'd love to see him play second or third division soccer in the United States. Oh, there is no third division, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, he, could play, he could play in USL or, or in uh, NASL for sure. Sure, um, um, and I think that would be good for him just because he'd be playing those higher levels, and because their federation is such a mess, the biggest problem Dennis Lawrence has had, and I've been told this by people that because i have connections with that federation and that they're frustrated because you know they feel like the friendlies they've had haven't really prepared them um and when they entered the hex they kind of felt like as well as they had played in the sub hex that they had a shot at this thing especially the way that the playoff is structured so you know i I think this is a this is it for them though they have two matches they play united states then in denver then they have to go play at Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's two rough away matches. It's going to yeah. be very difficult. But it gets substantially softer for them after that. So It does. It, it does. The problem is, are you too far out of fourth? Right. Because um, their way in. Because they've got Honduras. Into that playoff. They've got Honduras uh, at home after that in, in Port of Spain. I, I think they have a shot to win that game. Uh, and then they might get Mexico and the United States uh, already qualified at the end. Well, they'll definitely get Mexico already qualified. Yeah, they might get the uh, United States already qualified in that last game. So, they're but but yeah, I think you're right. They they need to get something uh, from these two games, and it's uh, right. again they they um, they got the point out of the game in Port of Spain against Mexico, where um, for those who didn't watch, there was a just an, they had a goal chalked off from just one of the worst offside calls you'll ever see in your life. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, that they. Um, 
and they would have been up 1-0 at that point. So with, with Dennis Lawrence's shape that he's imparted at the back, maybe they would have hung on to 1-0. Maybe they wouldn't have conceded yeah. that goal. And they yep, would, no, I think, they'd be on six points now. Yeah, no, I think there's a, there's a great chance they at least would have walked away with a point. Yeah. So and, think, and, and then they'd be tied with the U.S. and Honduras for fourth. And we'd just be talking about goal difference having the United States in the playoffs. So, and that's a manageable playoff because Australia is old and not very good. Yeah, Australia's um, in a dip. And, and it's either going to be Australia, Uzbekistan, or Syria. It will be one of those three nations. Right. Syria is another. I, I tweeted about this going back to your theme earlier. Uh, uh, it's a little different because they weren't. This generation wasn't born in strife, but they're playing now in strife. It is amazing how well qualifying they're doing, <laughs> considering everything. I mean, it's just uh, it's when insane. You play your home games in Malaysia, or right? <laughs> right. They're. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a getaway for the guys. Um, but it's it's stunning how well they've been how how well they're doing in qualifying and they could be that team in that in that playoff um, against uh, against the Concacaf team. But um, let's get back to Mexico now. Um, yeah. Um, so so the U.S. will go to Azteca. Um, they have, I think, the most talented roster in the history of the federation. Um, save maybe I mean we could have an argument position for position on two thousand two and maybe. You know, we'll find a show when we can do that. Um, this is a really good U.S. team. I don't know that... I, the problem is, Cardick, I think that the Mexico team they're going to play is maybe the best Mexico team ever, which is an amazing thing to say. But, I mean, look, none of... This This is a... All the gold medal winning guys are in, that, that, that are really good are in the fray. They're all about to hit their prime. Um, Hector Herrera is marvelous, Miguel Ayun. I mean, there's just so many different ways that they can beat you. Um, and, you know, for all the flaws that they had against Chile, you're kind of out Mexico Mexico. You're still dealing with Azteca, 7,500 feet of altitude. And then the short rest for TV really hurts the U.S. Oh, uh, no question. So this, this begs the question, altitude, you fly in and fly out? Is that what you do? Um, especially given the contraction of, of Thursday to Sunday? Yeah, my understanding is that the U.S. will have, and my understanding because I'm going, is basically that the U.S. have a training on Saturday. My guess is that it's just a real good heavy jog. Yeah. Um, that they're not going to do a whole lot. And that nobody that plays 90 minutes against Trinidad and Tobago and altitude is going to be involved in that process. Uh, so I think the question then sort of becomes, you know, yeah, I mean, it, you have to you have to treat it almost like a pop up friendly, um, where you let people sleep in Denver, get their rest, and then you go Saturday morning. Yeah, when everybody's awake and fed. Um, and it, it's just an immensely challenging, sorry, Friday morning. Um, it's an immensely challenging situation, I think, for the States. I, I, you know, Bruce Arena, I, I, the one thing that gives, as an American, I don't want to get all patriotic, I think that the biggest thing for me is just that how much Arena wants to win this game. And I know that's a cheesy thing to say, but you know Bruce, is, he's a legacy shopper. Right. You know, I mean, he wanted to prove that you could take elite 
European players at the end of their careers and dominate MLS with them. Right. And he wanted to prove it, but he wanted to prove it his way, where like, oh, they'll be interested. They'll care. It's not because of their quality. And he was right. Right? Yeah. I mean, at the end, Beckham cared about winning. Robbie Keane, nobody doubts Keane cared about winning. He wanted to win the MLS Cup. Right. Right? And a lot of that was bruising. So I wrote a piece this week kind of recapping the Venezuela, and it became less of a recap and more of like, hey, here's the stuff I think the U.S. needs to do for me. And, and I want to get your take on the game because I'm talking too much. Don't, don't ever be afraid to tell me to shut up. But I think two things that I'm looking for <laughs> <laughs> most are what, what does he get from Fabian Johnson in the next six months? Because this is the best – a U.S. assistant who asked me not to name them on the record, but it's one of the U.S. assistants on the bench, told me Fabian Johnson is the best technical player America has ever had. So where has that been in a U.S. shirt? Agree or disagree, he's one of the two right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say technically I, I, John O'Brien pops to mind. Um of course, Johnny O was always injured. I mean, of guys who've been able to play consistently, yeah, Fabian Johnson's well, probably Fabian right there. Well, Fabian has hurt a lot too, right? Yeah, but right, right. When has Fabian, when has Fabian played? A, he's played a couple incredible games, both in friendlies, one against Slovakia and one in the send-off series against Turkey where he was so far and away the best player on the field, it was absurd. Um, and he scored, of course, that beautiful chip goal from Bradley where he he kind of came out of nowhere onto the screen, put the ball in the back of the net. And the Turkish goalkeeper famously looked absolutely perplexed yeah. where he had come from. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I think it's a big challenge for Bruce to say, hey, I put you in the midfield, play better than you did against Venezuela. That's step one. So, Right, I, I, and I think, uh, I think that's a, a call that Fabi Johnson will hear. And hopefully rise to the occasion. Uh, but when you look at this Mexico side, uh, you've got guys that are riding yeah, I mean, the. Tell pri- me about Mexico because I've kind of. Oh, you've got yeah, guys who are in the prime best. of their career. Obviously, they've got Rafa Marquez still at thirty-eight, uh, uh, pushing, but and uh, giving some leadership. But you've got um, you've got guys like uh, like Hector Moreno. Who's coming off of another good season at PSV? Miguel Lyon, uh, who's been phenomenal. Uh, Diego Reyes, who uh, had had a really good season in Europe. I mean, just the core of guys that are playing well in Europe. Marco Fabian, uh, who we saw um, with some heroics in the um, in the uh, uh, attempted heroics in the, right. the German Cup final. You're, um, you're integrating a guy like Salcedo. Right, Salcedo is uh, playing really well uh, in Italy, and he's and he's doing well uh, with. Uh, uh, under Osorio. Now, keep in mind, Osorio has managed in Europe. He hasn't been a manager in Europe, but he was an assistant for Kevin Keegan right. at Manchester City. So he might understand better than some of the guys who Mexico have had managed them before about integrating guys from Europe because they've always had this split uh, between the guys playing in Europe and the guys playing in Mexico. Guardado, as always, uh, is the champ. He, he's uh, just a fantastic professional. Uh, Jurgen Dom is a player. Um, that's a, that's a young player that I've been particularly uh, intrigued by. Um, Jonathan Dos Santos is in this team. Um, we've always been intrigued by his talent. Uh, he and Gio both, but they're kind of um, supplementary parts, to be honest with you, with, with what's happened now. Uh, obviously, with uh, Chicharito, Peralta, uh, 
uh, and Carlos Vela, you have just yeah. oh, and, and let me not forget about Jimenez. You have just these fantastic attacking players, and, uh, and uh, uh, Corona. Goodness, yeah, this you're right, uh, Neil. As I'm thinking about this team out loud, um, and I should pull up a <laughs> roster while we're doing this, but I'm thinking about this team out loud. They are more talented. They're at least deeper in talent than any Mexico team I can remember. No, I've been watching Mexico for thirty I mean, years, and it, it's funny because you know. They might not have a singular talent on the level of Christian Pulisic. Right. They really might not. You know, I mean, I think, and there's plenty of people that aren't American that think this, in case you're listening. You're like, ah, these guys are American slanted. And first of all, we're not. We've just been praising Mexico for half an hour. But second of all, um, you know, I mean, Michael Cox, Jonathan Wilson, the list of people who think Christian Pulisic is one of the four or five best young players in the world is very long. Rafael Honingstein. Yes. <laughs> it's not just us. Okay? And 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 that said, he's that good, and I still have a U.S. assistant telling me, you have no idea how good Fabian Johnson is some days. Right, well, he's obviously pretty good. He's nominated for the Bundesliga Pass and Goal of the Year. Right. Um, but again, you know, with, with Johnson, he's hurt a lot, and, and that's uh, there's been that consistency factor even uh, – at the club level, I mean, we've seen him go into these terrible funks in the Bundesliga and in Champions League. He does. Lodbach. I, I asked him in March, um, you know, when he wasn't part of the team. So this is just on the phone. And I said, you know, what's the deal with with the positioning? You know, is that something that's really impactful to you? Is that something that's bothering you? And he said it's difficult to come into these short camps and start playing fullback when he's, you know, match fit to play um, elsewhere. Right. Um, that, that's why that was one of the first things Bruce Arena told us when he became manager of this U.S. team in his first really kind of publicized, televised interview on Foxes. I'm playing Fabian Johnson in his natural position. Remember that? Right. The very first yeah, thing he said. And, right. It's one of the first things he said. Um, so I, I just think that the U.S. have to get more from him if they're going to have a chance. Uh, and then I think I think that Bruce has to make the difficult choices, right? Like I think it's time to start Darlington Nagby in a critical road qualifier because of the Toronto thing that we talked about. You have to have a guy that can carry the ball in traffic. And when Darlington Nagby's on the field in MLS, you know, he's getting hacked. He's surrounded by multiple defenders. He has the ball, and he's become infinitely better at it than he already was, which was pretty good. Okay? Right. So you have a really good ball carrier in him. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that the U.S. have kind of lacked in Azteca, uh, save Terundolo. And remember, when Terundolo was really good there, the U.S. pressured Mexico into a turnover and scored probably the best technical goal in the history of the Federation to take a 1-0 lead, and then everybody freaked out. <laughs> what are we? Yeah. Oh, no, we're ahead. What do we do? So it's funny. I asked, um, just preparing for this pod, you know, I, I, I'm firing off text messages to all sorts of people, and I fire a text message to, to Stevie, and Stevie says, well, when we got ahead, we didn't really know what to do. <laughs> and um. so I was like, well, we've got to get you on the show. And, you know, it was like, Yesterday, so we'll get Steve Tarundolo on, and he can tell the story. I'd also like to talk about the 2005 game down there because um, we got a goal <laughs> back. We were down two nil, terrible in the first half. Um, 
We'll get him on. Yeah, so Eddie Lewis gets a goal back. I want to say probably in like minute 52 or 53, and then the altitude kicks in. If, if we, um, we could have gotten a second goal, and then after minute 60, we're dead. Um, and that was Bruce. That's the last time Bruce went down there. I, I kind of get a sense of the acclimation and if, if something in the prep is going to be different this time because we, we came to life early in the second half of that game and um, then altitude happened. As it did well, in think, 2009. I mean, we, we yeah, take the lead in that game, what right. we're talking about, and um, altitude kicked in in that game. I think both Bruce and Bob started to think that acclimation was a huge part of it. Um, and I think that it really hurt that 09 team because they were so lethal on the counterattack and they were so, they were pretty tight through the middle. Yeah. That whole cycle, as the Confederations Cup showed. So they could kind of sit back and play. You saw it with Swansea, right? Like, it's cool to defend with that much pressure, but. The problem is that sometimes in the Premier League you over-pursue a lot of those angles, right. and then there's so much space. And then in the Premier League, when you get behind, and you still want to, you, you kind of have to keep defending with that pressure because your whole counterattack is predicated on forcing turnovers off of it. But it's a double-edged sword for Bob Bradley because that's the system he wants to play. And if you get behind, as you're apt to do in World Cup qualifying. Uh, it can be exhausting. So you couple that with 7,500 feet of altitude. Wow. You know? yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those things that, that I've kind of conceptualized. Like you saw it, if you watched the Swansea teams, you have an idea of what I'm talking about because that's what would happen. They, they would get behind, and they're not playing at 7,500 feet, but they spend so much energy trying to win those turnovers. And then if you get one or two goals behind, you kind of still. Yeah. And, and Bob would talk about it at the time. We had you to, I mean? we, we had to learn how to play when we were down one nil at Swansea, but right. because they, this was their system, they were pressing, they were, they were trying to create those turnovers and counter quickly, uh, or win set pieces. Cause they had Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, right. who's the kind of set-piece taker I wish we had in our national team. Uh, that's part of the reason Iceland made the run they did in the Euros last year was that guy. Um, no, you're right. You're you, right. You try and draw those set-pieces, which uh, – so th- that's um, – that was Bob's style, and unfortunately at altitude, you, you, your legs run out. Um, have to ask you about John Brooks. Uh, he's made the move to Wolfsburg. He spent his entire career, his entire life basically with Arthur Berlin – uh, was born in Berlin, grew up with that side, uh, made contact with Thomas Rongen in, in 2008 uh, when Thomas was um, uh, talking to Brian Arguez, who, who had transferred there from D.C. United, and um, uh, has been uh, a lifer for that club. Um, he's making the move to a bigger club now, albeit a club that almost was relegated this year, but a club that's regularly in Europe. That's won a Bundesliga title in recent memory uh, in, in uh, Wolfsburg. Um, biggest money move in the history of uh, U.S. soccer, but is it a good one? Um, leaving your comfort zone, maybe punching at a, at a bigger club, but does this cause you any concerns going up into a World Cup year? Yeah, well, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. It, does, it certainly causes me concerns going into a World Cup year in that, you know, he's not going to have any issues getting minutes at his boyhood club. There's never going to be any, even like an injury, right? He knows right. the trainers. He knows... So, yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. Um, it's something to monitor. 
at the same time for Brooks, who just turned 24, it's astonishing that he's still that young. Um, oh, I, I didn't even think, I, you're right, yeah. It, it, you know, I think it infinity is, is uh, what's the joke about the ceiling? I forget what it is. The, the ceiling is where the roof is or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, but John Brooks has, has, you know, a chance to be, you know, a very special player in one of the best leagues in the world. And, um, you know, he's another guy that, that you've kind of isolated Matt Miasco. We've isolated Eric Palmer Brown. I know John's not going to, you know, dribble the ball like, like Al Horford taking the ball. <laughs> coast coast uh, the point four, forward, right? right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll never forget the, the Horford against George Mason thing. was one of the craziest things. But um, <laughs> I digress. Uh, but he can, you know, he can pass. He's a pretty apt passer. Um, I think that the biggest difference between Brooks then and now, then being like World Cup Brooks and now Brooks, it's just that as big and physical as John is, he's gotten better in the air. You know, like yeah. we used to see like young John Brooks either miss time 50-50s or kind of fail on clearances. Now I say this coming off a game where he, he did miss time when he got caught in no man's land horribly. And then Fabian Johnson, who we just mentioned, lost his mark. I guess he thought that he was supposed to mark Rondon, it turned out. And so they both basically pursued Solomon Rondon and didn't get the guy that ends up scoring um, against Venezuela. That kind of stuff can't happen. If it happens at Azteca, the U.S. will lose 2 nothing. Um, but I'm excited for the move. I think it's great when that happens with American players. Here's what I wanted to ask you about we can kind of wrap with with forwards but what do the u.s do it for because it felt it felt like against venezuela a little bit that they missed josie altador's ability to kind of create space for the other forward that maybe it's not a, a necessarily pliable uh duo in wood and dempsey and not that they're similar but they just kind of missed that hold up element at the same time it's terribly difficult to say. I don't think that they have the personnel to play with one forward, right? And Dempsey no, no. needs a partner. Yeah, so, he needs a so partner. What, what would you do? Because for me, Bobby Wood is consistently the only player other than Dempsey that's scored goals against anyone good in the last three years. <laughs> so so what do you do? Um, you know, I mean, do you hope Polisic kind of fills that goal-scoring void and start out the door, or...? You know, uh, I, this is a great spot. question. I mean, I'll admit I have not re- really watched the Venezuela game closely yet because I was trying to sleep because we had another game against Venezuela that I wanted <laughs> sure. to give my full attention a few hours later, which I did, by the way. Um, one forty-five, no, my alarm went off, and by uh, by one fifty-nine, I was fully engaged. So, um, yeah, I, this is a really tough question to answer because I see things Altador has done off the ball as a number nine to complement what Dempsey and Pulisic were able to do in those two qualifiers we had uh, under Bruce in March. Uh, that, that having been said, he, is, he is, doesn't seem to be a goal-scoring threat. Um, he's making... He, his game is evolving, and, and we forget sometimes how young Josie is still, uh, relatively speaking, because he's... Um, He's been around forever. He's still only 28. Um, right. But if, if, you're, if you're feeling like you need goals, I think um, you probably start Wood and Dempsey up top uh, in this Trinidad game. But when you go down to Azteca, 
Jeez. Um, again, maybe this shows my, uh, and, and this is where the, 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 the Klinsman lovers and, and uh, people who are, are critical of U.S. soccer system can come after me. Um, I'm not expecting to win that game. I'm not expecting to score a goal in that game. I'm expecting to try and grind out a nil-nil somehow at Azteca. Yes, I said it. Uh, right. For me, you have, to, you have to start Jersey Altidore as a, as a release player, as a target guy, as a guy who will tuck back defensively. Um, there, there are issues with Bobby Wood's um, tracking of runners. We've seen that in the past, both with the yeah, national no, team and at Hamburg. I think that, yeah, I think they're going to do that, too. I, I, and I'm glad you kind of – yeah. Um, I think you have, just because he's big and strong – and you just have to have somebody that that's an outlet, a release outlet. And you know, maybe you pick one off, off on the break from from a Fabian Johnson in a channel or something. But you know, um, but but it's hard to make the argument that that Arena won't go with known commodity out the door on on the road on that stage. It's just frustrating because at some point. You know, Bobby Wood has been so good for both country and club. Right. That, you know, yeah, there's a lot he has to work on. You know, and I think now Bobby wouldn't be the first to tell you because interviewing him is very difficult. Um, he doesn't ever say anything. He, you know, <laughs> I like, he's very, he smiles and, and um, seems very nice. Just not the most interesting quote. But, uh, but you know, he does score goals. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's tough. But but the the, the problem is, um, this sounds really kind of uh, um, reactive, and I've said it about guys like uh, um, Sergio Aguero in the past. Uh, you don't necessarily need guys who just and Nikola Yelovich who was at uh, Everton for a while. Sometimes you need guys who do more than score goals, and you sacrifice guys who score goal more goals than the other guys for. Um, for uh, someone who is going to do other, who has other aspects of their game, particularly when you're in World Cup qualifying, um, or yeah. if you're at the club level at a club where you're on, away from home and you're just trying to pick up the points. So um, that's my solution. You start Wood um, on Thursday in in Denver, and then um, you sit him in um, in Mexico City. I agree. And I think the, the other thing that, that Arena has to do is manage Dempsey's minutes. Um, you know, if you're ahead, if you you have to feel like one, you have to be confident enough to say one nothing. Even even one nothing is enough after after an hour of Dempsey on Thursday night at altitude. Arena's got to get him off the field, um, and whether that means you know you bring on whoever of Altidore or Wood doesn't start, or you trust Jordan Morris for half an hour in a World Cup qualifier um, just because he's so fast, and that might be a good match to kind of break him in. Uh, you know, I think that's very crucial because the U.S. will need Clint Dempsey's both, both his nerve and his penchant for the big moment if they're to have any chance Sunday night in Azteca. Now, I'm with you. I don't think... This is a three-point trip. They're going to have the hashtag get three. Should be get one. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just, that's that's realistic. And if we can get a point there at Azteca, I think qualifying is a lot smoother. That point is going to make a big difference. If we don't get a For point sure. there and we're sitting on seven points through 
Um, six matches, it's still a bit of a slog coming down the uh, um, coming down the stretch of qualifying. Uh, but it anyway, is, and you're playing a team. You're playing a team on the back end of it. Labor Day weekend, the back end of the summer. I mean, that in Costa Rica, wherever that match ends up being, that's still a team that's kind of got your number. I mean, you know, yeah, it has a chip on chip on their shoulder when they play you too. So that's right. The U.S. has two victories over Costa Rica in competitive matches in the last six years. One of one which is we... a, one is at a Gold Cup where the U.S. were thoroughly outplayed. Right. The other was in a blizzard. Right. So yeah. They, they, and... <laughs> so it's not a great, you know. And I think it's weird because the Teakles have lots of questions. I wrote a piece about this for Games for Coming. You all can read at the website. But I think. I think this is an interesting time for the Ticos, too. Um, just because, you know, Kaylor Navas kind of covers up a lot of bruises, if that makes sense. Like, the success yeah. of Yeah! That does make a lot of, of sense. And, and, and I look at their squad, and I expected a significant uh, um, 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 a significant downgrade this this cycle for them and it, it hasn't worked out that way because of Navas he covers up a lot of right. tracks uh, but look this thing with Costa Rica has been going on since that game at uh, uh, at Saprissa in 2009 I mean it, we just um, and look let's not forget we got the, the two late goals the Bornstein goal in 2009 to put him out of the World Cup but even that Costa Rica team the only Costa Rica team in recent uh, times that has not qualified for a World Cup uh, basically beat us at RFK in qualifying. Yeah, so. pretty much. Look, they, they, uh, they've got a lot of guys that are aging. Um, the core yeah. of that, that quarterfinalist team is aging and coming off bad years. Not necessarily bad years. Either either disappointing years in Europe or mediocre years there. Now, they have the eight MLS players, which is more than they've ever had on a roster. Yeah. Anyway, let's make that a wrap on this week's show. Uh, Neil, we will look for you in Mexico City on Sunday. Obviously, U.S. against Trinidad and Tobago first in Denver, Mexico City Sunday. Uh, Next week, we'll be back to review those matches, maybe talk a little bit about um, some of the goings-on in MLS, NASL, and USL, uh, as well as uh, maybe some other soccer news. So once again, for Neil Blackman, I'm Karthik Krishnire. TheYanksAreComing.com is where you can find us, and we will catch you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect New Year, New You portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.